uh, your work might be done. We ask that you multiply this and that this goes to uh, transforming our, our city and our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's my privilege now to invite up Sarah Gomez, and she's got an amazing word for us around our, our next, our, our current series at the movies. Awesome. Hey, good morning, church. Morning. Well, I want to let you know that we are truly international this morning. Uh, my husband and our eldest daughter are currently in Brazil visiting family, and uh, they are joining us on live stream this morning. It's about six o'clock last night over there, um, and his family are gathered too. So, um, bom dia, meu amor, saudade. Welcome to Elam North. <laughs> awesome, thanks. <laughs> Hey, for many of us here this morning, there will be moments and memories that we share uh, of events in history that just kind of change the shape, change the face of history. Events like uh, the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana. Uh, The year 2000, America's Cup becoming New Zealand's Cup. Who can forget that, right? Peter Montgomery announcing that. Uh, For some of us here today, not me personally, but some of us, the moon landing. (laughs) And then, of course, there are tragedies like the death of Princess Diana and who can forget 9-11. And then there are moments that are uniquely, deeply personal to us alone. Memories that kind of have left this eternal impression. It's as if God himself has reached down from heaven in that moment and he's run this heavenly highlighter over that event or put a bookmark in that page of the story of our lives And over the course of our life, our heart returns to that event, that memory again and again, because it's now easily referenced. I'd like to share a few of those kinds of memories of my own with you all this morning. Uh, The first one, I was four years old. I was heading to an outdoor concert with my family. I can remember I was wearing the flower girl dress that I wore to my auntie's wedding. I can remember walking up a hill to find a spot from where we'd watch this concert. And as I'm walking up the hill, I'm hearing this sound and it's driving guitars and it's thumping drums and it's kind of getting into my bones. And I get to the top of this hill and then my eyes, my ears, my heart just collides with this amazing name. And it sounds a lot like this. Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. It's 1979, guys, and, you know, this music's just everywhere. But you know what? In my my four-year-old heart, in that moment, I am encountering the power of the name of Jesus. There's no other way to explain it, and my heart's just kind of exploding in my chest. It's a name I would never forget. Okay, so let's fast forward 13 years. It's 1993, and I'm 17. One afternoon, I head to the movies with a friend. I can't remember what we were going to see. But the trailers start. I love the trailers at the movies. And um, suddenly the screen just explodes uh, with what we're about to watch in a moment. And I'm undone. I just start weeping uncontrollably in the movies. And my friend's looking at me going, oh, what's going on with you? And I'm like, I don't know. But I'm experiencing this thing in my heart like what I experienced it for, and I'm remembering this feeling. 
So it's 1997 now. I'm living in Hamilton, living my life, singing in a band, and I'm living a passionately committed rock and roll lifestyle and everything that goes with that. (laughs) But you know what? The deeper in I got into this lifestyle, the less I recognized myself, and I didn't like what I was looking at in the mirror. I was surrounded by people all the time, but I was desperately lonely, and it looked like I was living this really amazing life, but I was totally dead, and I felt really powerless to get myself out of this lifestyle that I'd gotten myself into. However, over the final year and a half of this period of my life, when things just went downhill big time, I started making some really bad, destructive decisions. God, and I knew it was God, begins to show up at places where I was at, like when I was singing in gigs at pubs and stuff. I just started feeling this love and this presence. I also had a Christian flatmate at the time. Well, actually, she'd recently become a Christian. She was a fellow musician. And I began watching this incredible change in her. And then one afternoon on a particularly bad day, she just looked straight at me and she said, Sarah, God loves you. And my heart just grabbed these words as if they were life, and I held on to those. A few weeks later, I received news that just blew my life apart as I knew it. And I should have had these emotions of total devastation, right? But instead, my heart becomes aware of the most remarkable thing. I'm in my lounge in Hamilton, and standing before me in the middle of my mess was Jesus. And he was just waiting for me. And I ran to him with all I had within me, and I was radically saved. I felt totally washed clean, and I was flooded with hope. That Sunday, I head to church for the first time ever of my own choice in my adult life. I walk through the doors of this church, and I just am totally met with this sound. And it is the sound of praise and worship. And they are singing this name that I had remembered since I was four years old. And I just, everything within me is going, man, I was born for this. The preacher speaks, and I can't even remember what he was speaking on now. But at the end of the message, he says, this whole time, I just can't shake the feeling that this morning I'm supposed to pray for any singers or songwriters that might be here with us this morning. At this point, my heart is beating a million miles a minute, and I just know he's just, you know, looking straight at me. So I get up out of my seat, and I walk forward past the people and go and stand up the front. Now, I've never been to church in my life, guys. Well, not as an adult anyway, and uh, probably went to a few weddings when I was a kid. don't know. Um, So I've got no framework for what could possibly happen next. So I'm standing there. And the speaker comes over, and he reaches out his hand to pray for me. And before he can even pray a word, I am flat under the floor, you know, on the floor, under the power of God. And he just bathes me in his love. And then he puts this enormous joy in my heart that just comes out like laughter. And I laugh, and I laugh. And in that moment, God has literally exchanged my past sorrows for his joy. I got up off that floor, and I've never been the same. My journey brought me back home to Whangarei, and my family and I started coming here to Elam 15 years ago. I joined the choir. I joined as a keyboard player. I started singing. I started leading worship. And then by his grace alone, what do you know? Here I am, worship pastor at Elam North. (laughs) 
No, no one is more surprised by that than me because I know where I've come from. But God's not surprised because he's always known his plans for me. So now I am living passionately for Jesus. He is my rock and that's how I roll. <laughs> I've wanted to say that for ages. So come on, let's go to the movies. Watch the screen.
still gets me. So good. So a few years ago, I'm watching this movie with my daughters. I've got three daughters. And this familiar feeling is rising up in my heart even after all these years. But now I've learned to ask smart questions. And so I'm like, God, what is this reaction really about? And suddenly it dawns on me that this is the most beautiful illustration of the coming together of Jesus's church and all it can possibly be that I've ever seen. Now, I can go on a day trip with friends and I could maybe pack a bag or I could not pack a bag. If I pack bag with pack my bag with things that are going to enhance my trip, like a drink of water, a snack, a camera, that trip is going to be so much more than it could be than if I didn't pack a bag. Same with going to church. I pack the things in my heart that I'd like to bring to church to make a good experience, everything that God has seen in his heart that it can be. So I've called my message this morning, what to bring to meet the king. And inspired by moments in this opening scene of The Lion King, I'd like to share with you four things that I have come to know are really good things to pack in our hearts so that a good time can become totally amazing. Number one, bring expectation. The moment that this scene opens, we can tell that this is no ordinary day. The animals are going about their morning routines, but there's just something in the air this morning. I can feel it coming in. You know that one. In the air tonight. Phil Collins said that. But Planet Shakers would say, This is prophetic. I can feel it in the air. We've sung that, right? The king has called them together and they're coming. God calls us together too. An idea birthed in the heart of a father who so loves to spend time with his children all together that he effectively makes every Sunday a family reunion. Psalm 50 verse 1 says, The mighty one God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. So this is the kind of big picture calling of all the earth. But then God, he breaks it down again and he invites us personally one by one. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Our heart responds immediately. It's been designed to do that. However, our heart often then waits for the rest of us to get into gear. It's now at the mercy of potentially fickle things like our wills, our time management skills, our, our legs, our wheels. <laughs> And we're relying on those things to get our heart to where God is going to be. Imagine now going to see the movie The Lion King for the first time and you arrive late. You've not seen the grandeur or heard the wonderful sounds that we've just experienced. And you find your seat just as the Lion King words fill the screen and you've missed it. And it doesn't matter what way you look at it now, you've actually also missed out. Your experience of this wonderful film cannot be the same. If I was going to the concert of a favorite musician on the day of the concert, man, I'd be excited. I'd be expectant and I'd be looking at my watch and I'd be like, is it time to go? Is it time to go? And I'd be so excited. And then I'd get there intentionally late. Um, no, I wouldn't. 
I'd get there on time. I'd get there early, actually, for fear of missing a single moment. And especially that moment when that something unplanned, wonderful, totally amazing happens. You know, the thing that everybody's talking about for the next few years, the thing I missed out on because I was late. We've got to be on time. We can be sure that if God is calling us together, then he's got something in mind and it will be good. In 98, Hillsong released a song called Church on Fire, and the first verse goes like this. The Holy Spirit is here and his power is real. Anything can happen and it probably will. Something very good, something good is going on around here. Was gospel as awesome. (laughs) But okay, heart check. Do I really believe that? That anything can happen? If I don't, at best, I'll come and sing a few songs. I'll hear a good message. I'll catch up with friends over coffee. But if I do believe that, that anything can happen, I'll find that my heart is on the edge of its seat, expectant, fully engaged, and watching and waiting for what God is about to do. Okay, guys, back to the movie. The animals are all gathered, and suddenly they part like the Red Sea, And Rafiki the baboon just walks right up through the middle of them all. There's something about this guy that is really special. Something different. Confidently, he climbs the step to go and meet the king face to face. He knows the way. He's been here before. Mufasa, the king, greets him affectionately, and they hug. Rafiki is then invited to see something that no other set of eyes has yet seen the first glimpse of Mufasa's son, the future king. Rafiki is a friend of the king. I have a friend, Joe. She's gorgeous. And I don't call her my friend because I sent her a Facebook request and she accepted it. We actually spend time together. We have had countless cups of tea and countless conversations. The depth of friendship that we enjoy was not automatic. We were very intentional about making time to be together. And it's this intentionality, especially in the early days of friendship, that indicates to one another that you are interested in the friendship. Joe knows things about me that no one else knows. I trust Joe with my whole heart. She has seen me at my worst, and she's seen me at my best. Like us, Jesus wants to be wanted not overlooked or taken for granted, but desired, and not just for what he gives, but for who he is. He wants us to know him deeply and not just about him. Some of the ways we express our interest in a friendship with Jesus is when we make time to read his word, we worship, when we love people, when we pray. So then how does Jesus express his interest in pursuing a friendship with us? There can be no doubt at all. John 15 verse 13 says, No one can have greater love than to give his life for his friends. Jesus demonstrated his friendship with us when he gave up his life on the cross. Friendship with Jesus is rich and transforming. However, we would do well to remember that this can be no ordinary earthly friendship. He is God after all. There must be a holy respect on our part that wisely tempers our approach to him. 
Psalm 25 verse 4. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, and with them he shares the secrets of his covenant. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which for time's sake I hope we're all familiar with, we find Susan having a conversation with Mr. Beaver. Susan's about to meet Aslan for the first time, uh, the king, and uh, clearly she's assumed that he's a man. So let's pick up the conversation with Mr. Beaver. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Uh, Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. As our friendship with Jesus develops and deepens, we will find, like it says in that psalm, that he begins to reveal uh, secrets about himself that he doesn't just share with anybody. In John 20, we find Mary, who has developed a very close friendship with Jesus. She's shared meals with him, she's listened to his teaching, and she's worshipped at his feet. Three days ago, Mary's friend Jesus was brutally beaten and hung on a cross to die. Early in the morning, she goes to the tomb to go and just lovingly tend to the body of the one she loves. And when she gets there, she finds he's not there. And she's like, oh, where's the body of the one I love? But then suddenly, Jesus is standing in front of her because he has risen. And suddenly, Mary's eyes become the first pair of eyes to see the resurrected Christ. And this is a wonder of wonders reserved only for the eyes of a close friend. Let's move on to the third thing that I believe is good to bring when we meet together as church. Bring a determination to praise. Well, what a crescendo erupts when Rafiki lifts the king into the air. Elephants are trumpeting, monkeys are clapping and shouting, the zebras are stomping their hooves. Every single animal is praising the future king. And it's a glorious, entirely appropriate, abandoned outward celebration. For some of you here this morning, life is awesome. You are in a mountaintop moment, and I love that. Praising is easy. For some of us, we're just going through the motions. Most days look the same. Nothing bad's happening, nothing very good either. We're probably stuck in a rut. But then there are some of us here this morning, and life's just kind of kicked your knees out. And praising is not easy. But I love that you're here. This is a safe place. And I'm going to tell you why praise is so important. David was a man well acquainted with the landscapes of life, mountaintops, ruts, and valleys. He knew them all well. David praised on the mountaintops, and he praised in the ruts, and he praised in the valleys. This is sacrificial and costly praise. David is determined to praise, and determination is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's an act of the will. He chooses to praise. Why is David so determined to praise? Because David understood the God-ordained power and purpose of praise. He knew that praise would bring God into his predicament and give God the presiding seat. Psalm 22:3, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Equally, God is enthroned on the praises of New Zealand this morning. He is enthroned on the praises of Whangarei, 
God is enthroned on the praises of Elam North. He is enthroned on the praises of Pete MacArthur, of Sam Wakelin. He's enthroned on my praise and he's enthroned on your praise. God arrives in our praise and he sits down on the throne of our praise. And now he can be the king that will rightly rule and reign and roar like a lion over our situation. The late Dr. Miles Munro makes a brilliant summary of praise and then worship. He says, praise is our building a house for God and worship is God moving in. And this beautifully brings me to the last thing that I'd like to share that I think is important to pre-prepare and pack in our hearts when we come to church. The last part of the scene in The Lion King. Man, I'm just standing over there watching it, and I just, I know it's an animation, but, you know, I just want to lift my hands, you know. It's, I can't help myself because this is beautiful. The animals have come. They've come expectantly, and they've praised with all they had. And Rafiki continues to lift this future king high into the air and the clouds part and the light of heaven itself falls upon this king. Clearly he is the king. And so they fall to their knees in a posture of worship. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, we find David. He's just utterly determined to get the presence of God back, which in the Old Testament was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. And he wants it back in his city. He wants to restore it into its rightful place in the temple because he knows the revival and the blessing that the restoration of God's presence will mean to his city and to his people. So he gathers some men and they set off on this mission and it wasn't easy. Lives were lost along the way. But finally, when the Ark of the Covenant, when God's presence is carried through the gates of Jerusalem, there was a celebration of praise, the likes of which had never been heard or seen. God's presence was back. The Ark is placed into the temple. Many people gather, and you can taste the expectation in the air. And then the trumpets blast, the musicians start to play, and the singers lift their voices. And they praise, and they praise, and they praise. And then, and only then, this is what happens. 2 Chronicles 5.14. Then the house of God, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, because the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. This moment of corporate worship is what David's entire mission had really been about. God's manifest presence back in the temple and with his people. No longer able to stand under the weight of God's glory, the priests posture themselves in worship. God's presence, his spirit, is no longer in a man-made temple. When we receive Jesus' gift of salvation... God puts his presence, his spirit in us. With Jesus indwelling our hearts, we can connect with him spirit to spirit as we just go about our daily lives. When we posture our hearts in worship and surrendered before him, we are offering our whole selves. Romans 12 says, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is our true act of worship. 
That means that sometimes worship does sound like a song. It also means that sometimes worship sounds like speaking kindly to a workmate that's just rubbing you up the wrong way. Sometimes it looks like a quiet moment with Jesus as we're just hanging out our washing and we sense his nearness and our heart just goes, you are God. In moments like this, words will fail us. There's nothing left to sing and nothing left to say. The only thing we can do now appropriately is to posture our hearts in worship and offer all we are to the King. There's a beautiful old hymn called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and the last verse goes like this. Were the whole realm of nature That were an offering far too small. Cause love so amazing, love so divine. divine. My soul, my life, my all. I cannot give him anything less because I remember what it was like to be lost in the darkness of rock and roll. And he called me out and he put me into the light of his grace. There's a line at the end of the song, The Circle of Life, and it says, Until we find our place in the path unwinding. But truly, I tell you, we will not, we cannot find our place until we first find Jesus. He will show us our place because he is the author of our story. If you're here this morning and you're hearing my words and you've never met Jesus, or maybe like me, you really need to meet Jesus in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer and your life will change. First, I'd like to speak to those of you here who knew God's friendship, but you've just kind of walked away and you haven't talked to your friend in a while. I've got really good news for you. There's two types of friends in this world. Some come and go, but some friends are like friends that you don't see for weeks, months or years. But when you see them, it's like you've never been apart. And you just pick up where you've left off. Jesus is that kind of friend. He's calling you back into right relationship this morning and into the heart of friendship. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, church, would you please pray this with me? Thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Thank you that you've called me out of darkness and into your wonderful light. Meet with me right now, Jesus. Please wash away my sin and make me new. I ask you now to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Still with every head bowed and eye closed, if that was you, by faith meeting Jesus in prayer this morning for the first time, 
or coming back into friendship with him, would you do something brave for me? Would you please raise your hand and let me know that was you? There's amazing people in this church. They've just got their eyes out and they'll connect with you after the service, pray with you and put some information in your hand. Is there anybody here this morning? Thank you, honey. Best thing you've ever done. Thank you, Father. Anybody else? Thank you, Father, for that heart. So church, just as the opening scene of The Lion King sets the scene for the rest of the movie, likewise coming to church can set the scene for the rest of our week. If what takes place on a Sunday can have so much influence over our Monday to Saturday, I actually think it's a really good thing to pack and bring to church those things that are going to make it so much better. So I will come to church with my heart full of expectation and I'll join it with yours. I will come bringing my personal friendship with Jesus and my determination to praise and I will join it with yours. Our hearts are postured for worship. We're packed and ready to go. And now I sit down next to you, my family, and we wait in wonder on the edge of our seats because now anything can happen, and it probably will. <laughs> Let's praise. Stand to your feet, church.